RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, it's just me. I don't have a shortage of upcoming guests. I've been trying to work a time in for recording within my schedule has been a bit of a hassle. Saturday, I had an illustrious guest lined up, but my power went out before even to record. It's Sunday morning, I don't have any shows in the hopper, and I am flying solo. Sisters and brothers, talking about some things that are going on. One is a zine called Upcoming Zine for Zine Quest uh, 4. I'm assuming it's going to uh, be launched by Kickstarter, but I have no reason to assume it won't. Is uh, Fane of the Fly Guy. So I am looking at producing an OSE branded um, supplement, I guess we'll call it. Uh, it's all fly themed. So spells, um, deities, locations, even a, a, a city with a, with a uh, populated with different people, uh, kind of a dungeon of sorts, uh, very much aimed at sword and sorcery, very much aimed at being very thematic, aimed at being very evocative. And so that's a project that started out thinking it would be pretty small, but like myself, uh, being who I am, uh, it's turned out to be much longer than I had intended. So... For good or for ill, <laughs> I'm looking at maybe, you know, I'm looking at maybe 80 pages. And so, that being said, uh, what's different is I'm not doing the layout. My daughter, Lydia, is doing the layout. So, she is definitely a much more talented um, layout artist than I am. And she's had, uh, she's going to college, she's got a degree, and, uh, and so she's... Um, something different trying to do something however i'm looking for something like kind of like eerie or creepy magazine for those who remember that those quote-unquote magazines from the 70s and uh, i think i got an artist lined up uh just getting that all kind of figured up and i also this time am lining up a developmental editor which i think is a good thing so sometimes come up with an idea, and you know what, there's always opportunities for improvement. So, um, in general, for any sort of uh, zine I've done, any work I've done, um, that has been kickstarted, this is not true of the stuff that I have not kickstarted, and if you go back and, if you want to go drive through and see some of my other products, th those never had copy editors, so, and it, and it shows, so, I think my writing's improved, I think a lot of things have improved, but definitely, um, Getting a copy editor is a good thing. So I did purchase, as people are well aware, I do write with Scrivener, which is a great piece of software. I use Pro Writing Aid. It is, I think, if you are a person who is not a professional writer and doesn't have a long and strong history with writing, um, Pro Writing Aid, Pro Writing Aid is a very good thing to purchase to help improve the writing. So, in and of itself, I don't think it is perfect. Um, I don't also, you know, I'm not here to, um, you know, just to, uh, I can't think of what the other metaphor is for trying to sell it, but it's definitely uh, that or Grammarly. And I think a lot of times 
what probably works the best is actually use a couple things, you know, get it all done and, and dump it into Google Docs or Microsoft Word and let, let their own uh, algorithms hit it and see if it finds other things. But the idea is get the writing as good as you can get it as you, as a human being uh, who's got your own uh, foibles and blind spots to get it as best as you can get it, then hand it over to a calculator. So it would be unconscionable for me to just write a rough draft and hand it, and hand it over to a calculator. So even with all those um, things that I do, uh, as far as trying to get it perfect as that much as I can, there's still plenty of opportunity for things to be fixed. And by fixed, uh, may not be major things, just maybe minor things, like uh, like just clarity. It's sometimes it's just more clear to write things a certain way. The other thing is the copy editor that I use, uh, she is very good about catching, um, making sure uh, that there's consistency in the spelling. So for scoundrels, this was more of a problem because I used a lot of names that were derived, not derived, uh, they were names that were common to people from different um, areas of the world. And so because of that, those are the types of spellings, the types of names that I am not used to spelling, I'm not a good speller, and so I will change the spelling as I go through it. So um, it's just natural because I tend to, uh, I guess, spell things to be more phonetically, and then in my head I stop. I start start mispronouncing it in my head, and then the names morph. So that's a nightmare. So yeah, and so anyway, having a human being um, definitely looking at that, who's got the attention to detail, is well worth it. So the developmental editor is to take it to the next level too. I mean, it's it's hard as when you have a zine, you know, and there's not a lot of money. So you can run a Kickstarter. And even you get two or three thousand uh, dollars. It sounds like a lot of money, but it's not. Because by the time that includes uh, includes shipping, so once you take out shipping and then you start taking out the cost of printing books, you got the cost of the proof copies, the shipping of the proof copies, and you start taking out the cost of your all your materials, and then you start paying for your art and you start paying for your editors. And uh, the thing is, a lot of times there's not a lot of money left over, which is fine. Think with scoundrels, I funded at two thousand, and I think I walked away with probably a little over five hundred dollars after it was all said and done. And I did all the writing and um, did all the layout. So we did split up. Um, we did split up uh, during the Madlands. That funded at three thousand, but uh, after it was all said and done, we split it four ways. And in the end, uh, I wound up with uh, thirty-one, uh, thirty-one copies. And that's that's for all I made on it too. So I'll make my I'll make some money once once those get sold. But uh, until then, it's just uh, it was a break even point for me personally, which is fine because I went in there as an expert on it. So I guess the point is is that going in, it, it's kind of a um, what's what I'm looking for. It's kind of a conundrum. So you need to have a professional. You need to have something professional or for it to sell or for people to professional enough that when people see it, they want to buy another one. They're not going to look at think this is something that's just amateurish. But on the other hand, to do that requires uh, spending money often up front. So scoundrels, I you know, paid for a cover artist, but I was able to get my stock art. The cover art had to be paid for up front. Um, 
the Catholic Church. Which, I mean, that's just what it is about. My point is, there's upfront money. The copy editor, she wants paid uh, ahead of time, which is fine, because I understand, you know, she doesn't want to get stiffed and putting all that work in. So it's, it's, it's perfectly reasonable. I'm not complaining about that, but I'm just stating that in order to have something professional uh, looking, you have to put money into it to get to that point. Uh, but the rub is, you don't know what you're going to get out of it. And so, like you, I don't want to lose money. Uh, at this point, it's just a learning, I'm, I, you know, I'm getting an education, so, and it's it's fine for breaking even. So, it's just that, uh, you know, you can't easily outlay thousands and thousands of dollars. And some people have done that and have been very successful. And uh, that is the uh, the leap of faith, the Kierkegaardian leap into the into the abyss, and uh, and so I am more trepidatious, and I've been kind of working my way up. So anyway, the last, the next step in my, we'll call it, uh, development is been has been the, um, the hiring a developmental editor. Um, the actually I haven't signed paperwork yet, but that's that's the next step. So uh, the layout. The reason I went with uh, my daughter is just because uh, she's super talented and I think it would be something of project I wanted to work with her on. So, And she's also, it's very easy to get stuck in a rut and somebody like her to kind of do something fresh. And uh, I think also for me, it's, it's very easy over time. Uh, it, it's hard for me sometimes just to let go, I won't say let go is not the right word, but what you find is that um, when you do the writing, you do the layout, uh, you do all this other stuff, um, even though it's slow, it's very irritating, it's slow, it's, it's painful, uh, but you have control over everything. Uh, but once you start uh, handing things out to people, then you can hand out the writing to somebody, hand out the art to somebody, hand out the editing to somebody hand lay out to somebody else and then now you're in a different position where you you have less control and uh and that's kind of difficult especially when you're trying to work on a timeline so anyway my hope is everything uh done my goal really was to have everything done december print out proof copies for fame and then uh and then be ready for um zine quest Finish the inquest, and then and then print copies within a couple weeks after that. So, but that's probably not going to happen. So, uh, it's possible, but I don't think it is. And there's a number of reasons. It's just I'll say scope creep, but also time and passion. There's just been a number of personal and this. You know, we're all dealing with uh, situations. Um, all adults through struggling through various things so it's nothing new it's just that you know life happens uh, I've been progressing not as fast as I would like um, but um, the other thing is is one of the issues is working through this one of the the things is I have an idea and I don't really understand what the end product looks like until I start doing it and so I'm at the point now where I'm actually fairly close to the end but I still have a fair amount of writing and I kind of I was, I guess, somewhat mostly done. I'll say mostly done. But then I gave it to uh, the uh, the guys who would be doing the um, uh, developmental editing, 
of came up with some some thoughts. Um, thoughts. Um, yeah, top level thoughts. So, and this is what I did. I just gave him my whole thing. I just just look at it real quick and just tell me, you know, because you know what I wanted to get a top level thought before I understood how much time it was going to take him. So, but here's some things that he came up with that I think is probably just good stuff to share. Said is uh, to me, he says, You've got a lot of to be verbs in general, which are clear but also can often be swapped out for more evocative vocabulary. For example, if you were to take, There are two entrances to the main hall, change it to two entrances beckon pilgrims to the main hall. Problem is, he's so right. <laughs> So, now, what is, you know, it, it's not a find and replace. I can't say, you know, I go find every occasion of, of uh, R and change it with, uh, you know, beckon. It's, it's, it's not going to, that doesn't make sense. So, the thing that does fill me with a bit of dread um, is having to go back through the manuscript and, and revisit so many verbs. And the reason it is, is because, um, they're not always, uh, I'll figure it out, but it's, it's, it's rewiring the brain. It's having to force, to rethink, I don't want to say every sentence, because that's not going to happen. I will not go through every sentence, number one. That's, that's, and I don't think that's what he's asking for. But I think the point is, uh, I think especially for areas you're trying to be evocative, you really, it needs, that, that aspect needs to be in there. And so, I don't know what that's going to mean. I think it's just going to mean a lot of suffering. Um, it may mean weeks of suffering. It may mean months of suffering. I don't know. All I know is that pain is my future. So, the other one, uh, he also said is, is, just using placeholder words uh, when you don't have a word for it. Like, you know, you got a city or an empire, just you just capitalize it to go back. I sort of did that with some of it, but I kind of wish I would have done it more so. Um, and yeah, I think that was it. Those are the, the main things that he just at a high level pointed out. I mean, there's a bunch of smaller details, but I thought the idea is the evocative wording. I thought that was a good thing for people to know or to think about, and, um, yeah, it's hard. Writing's hard. Um, it's slow, difficult, and, uh, and, um, some parts can be fun, um, some parts aren't, so it's kind of weird. You kind of have a weird relationship with writing, you know, um, whatever that means. Um, so thing I'm working on. Well, I should have talked about anything else I'm working on. Um, I do have a number of things coming that I am working on, but I'll just, I'll just be quick. Uh, I thought I'd go through some games I'm running. Or, you know, in. So, the one that I've been running is a Coriolis game. It was, those of you who listen know. Um, great setting. As I mentioned before, layout of the book's terrible. Uh, the mechanics are pretty straightforward. 
Uh, but still, there's some hunts and nuances that, that there's some really neat stuff in it. It's hard to implement, I for me. It's just, uh, but it is a great system. But uh, what I have been doing is, when I did switch over from Roll20 to, I bought into uh, Foundry VTT. Absolutely wonderful. Um, it's a wonderful uh, the software package. I don't know. So basically, unlike Roll20, you pay 50 bucks, and then that's all you pay. Then you, at that point, you're self-hosting. And, but I was having problems with, I don't know what's going on. I, I lost a lot of time trying to fix the hosting on my own computer. And so I ended up paying for a service. It's like $4 a month. So, But what's happened is because I did that, not because I did that, but um, the things with Foundry is they have a um, uh, Free League's really they have really um, bought into uh, virtual tabletops and have definitely are supporting Foundry in a huge way. So um, you can purchase material, especially if you get them on sale, some really good deals um, for a virtual tabletop. But one of the things I really enjoy about it, that's another thing I enjoy about uh, Foundry, is the um, character sheets, making characters so much simpler and easier. The interface is better, I think, than Roll20. What I really love is the journal system, and it's um, kind of a, not kind of, it's kind of like, I guess, like World Anvil, and then it's uh, it's like a wiki, and if you buy, well, buy, if you download certain modules, um, you can you can drag and drop all sorts of stuff, so I'm kind of slowly setting, um, going through um, writing, setting things up, and uh, documenting, and uh, in a way that's working out really well. So, and as, I don't know how to describe it, but anyway, it, for whatever reason, the, the use of journals really clicked with me, and, um, and it's been a very, very positive thing. So, I'm pretty much sold on Foundry at this moment, so definitely freely just um, I took on a lot of my money, so, in the last month, so, oh, hopefully it's <laughs> okay for a while. Uh, but it, it is a learning curve, as it is any virtual tabletop. Um, it doesn't have video or audio, as does Roll20, but most people use Discord. Um, before, I was using Discord and, and uh, Roll20, but I used Discord also for documentation, and it didn't work so well. I mean, it worked okay, um, but, um, but not quite at the same levels as this is working now. Um, I think also with the journals, it's nice for me to be, you can keep all your, your notes, make notes, players can make notes. You can take, you can make a journal, you can drop it onto the map, and uh, then they can click it and uh, be able to, um, be able to read it. And so, what I'm doing is, with a journal, you can make something secret, which only the GM uh, can read. So, what I'm planning on doing is, um, for an upcoming uh, adventure, I'm going to be running is uh, for we'll call it dungeon adventure. Is I can also drop each one of those journals onto a map location, and as they as they go to different locations, I can open up and read it. Then I can make it accessible to them, and that way, anytime they want to go back into a room and read the description, they can. So, you know, I can read the description of what's going on, but it always allows the player to say, "Oh, what was that in this room?" And like, you can click it and read it. So that way, the as they 
these characters in those undercover information that that information will still be available to them and uh, accessible at any time. So playing the game, uh, very nifty. So the other one I've been playing is Alien RPG. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, kind of made me realize some of the limitations of virtual tabletops in that I think it does stifle. I think if you have a large enough group, it stifles role playing. I think it's just largely because um, there's only one mic, and I just realized that you know I was given a character. The character had certain personality traits. I tried playing. I don't know everybody understood, and it's like you know I don't know this is very conducive for. It's kind of considered a one shot, and also I also was thinking too. It's like if my character had these traits, it was doing these things. I think if I was at the table, I would probably be role-playing on the side with another person, you know what I mean? And, but when you, but taking up the mic for something that's pretty focused, it just seems awkward and does not necessarily keep the adventure going. So, I don't know. It's, it's kind of made me, aware, I don't say aware, but I think maybe a little more aware of when I run games, it's it's both a, a beautiful thing bringing people together, but it and it it I think for certain games it works really well, but for other type of games, it like I said, with being only one mic, it can be a bit more difficult I think than in person. Um, oh, in the mail, just a second, I got. Planner Compass. Yeah, so Planner Compass 2 um, uh, just arrived in the mail this week. And uh, it is quite a good-looking zine. So, um, Dara, oh, sorry, so Doug Wilson and Sarah Brunt are the writers for this, and the Goblin's Henchman. Um, it's kind of interesting size scene. It's yeah, I was gonna get a ruler for this. So their choice was um, it is five and three quarter inches wide. Like it is. Sorry, I've got a short one here. And it's and it is six feet. So I guess it's 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 more square. So it's like, well, maybe not. It just seems more square, but it's not. So what they did is it is a. Seven, sixty-eight, sixty-nine, seventy. Probably seventy-two or something like that. Pages, um, a little pretty wide margins, um, but anyway, it, it feels good in the hand. Um, of course, it does pop open. It's a, I think it is a uh, mixing publication or printing. Um, it does show go to show me that maybe if my Problem with Thane with Flygod. I'm doing six by nine, so I'm 
I'm thinking that maybe I was thinking about doing two different scenes, but I still may just do the other one. Because this actually, I don't remember if it was the fifth. It might have been the fifth. So, um, there's hope. The art, beautiful. The color, yeah, the cover is actually amazing. So, the idea is Planet Compass 2 is sailors basically in the, I guess, the astral plane, going through different planes. And they implement some, uh, this is really set up for old school essentials. It is, um, it's got a little comic book in there. Oh, I say comic book, it's got a, a, a two-page spread, a little comic. They've got uh, beautiful art, got a lot of color. Uh, they kind of went with the hex flower um, mechanic. And for encounters, the way you roll them up, um, I think they did a really interesting job. So, I mean, statistically, you know, you would roll encounters. I believe it's, I didn't read the whole thing, so um, I just kind of flipped through. But for, like, where the encounter uh, is coming from, you roll 2d6. As you know, it produces a distribution curve. So they kind of, well, not kind of, they did. They, uh, they put the distribution where the highest uh, percentage, I think, is going to be in, full, in front rather than behind. Which is kind of neat. Um, the other thing they did that was I thought was kind of also neat was the <clears throat> they used um, for an encounter table is two d twenty, but then they what they actually are doing is doing a uh, I think it's two d twenty. So they use basically uh, I should say it they use a one d twenty. Now in effect, what they did is for certain places that you go to, they would basically be a roll for advantage, and the other one they would roll for disadvantage, kind of like they do with D&D. So that allowed you to use the same table, but bias it depending where you're at, which I thought was very, very, very clever. Um, this is not having, like the previous one had an extra uh, class and like maybe some various species. Uh, this one is really um, exploration, ship, mechanics um and it looks like very fun looks very fun um almost think it seems like this i think would be kind of neat to have a board to go with it but no such thing the only thing i would say negative is just some uh, layout issues um just minor things like that if, if it was just more time put on some of these minor issues it would be a, a superb, a superb, um, absolutely superb. But you know what? Sometimes you do the best you can. But um, it's like some of the tables go across two pages. That doesn't really hold out very well. And uh, I think some of the, the choices, they probably look great on screen, but when printed out, it's like it, some of the text is really hard to read. And just various things like that. I just, and I think it just would have, probably gone through another pass. I think the other thing they did was, I think was noble was a lot of the hexes have some really neat art. It's just that when they're shrunk down, um, it, and I think it might be the, the, the paper itself, I can't tell, but the colors just kind of make everything kind of, um, kind of burst together, unfortunately. But, uh, but anyway, this is very nice, uh, very nice. I, I recommend the Planet Compass.
DM Wilson and Sarah. Great job. Next on the agenda is a call to games. So put this on Twitter. I've got one person uh, who's interested in doing a pinky swear, call it pinky swear for RuneQuest in 2023. So I purchased RuneQuest, beautiful game. I got um, desire to play slash run it, but I guess the only way to ensure the destiny of, of getting a game is pick my schedule is for me to run a game. So the goal is 2023 to run a game of RuneQuest. So what that means is um, I don't know if anybody out there is interested. So I've got uh, Foundry, which I plan to run it on, except that the issue is that um, most of the stuff's not loaded in there. So like everything would have to be loaded in there. So um, spells, monsters, whatever. Not monsters, but yeah, the bestiary, the whatever. It's it would just it's going to take a long time. So. My, and also, it's slowly reading through the rules. It's it's very it's a very dense setting. Uh, I don't think the mechanics are crazy. There's nothing really crazy about it. It's just, but I'm looking for if anybody's interested in um, playing in um, a roll twenty, not roll twenty, but into a a um, uh, RuneQuest game in 2023. Not 2022, I'm talking 2023. This is just a pinky swear. Between us all, so we're going to do this. I'm going to set the Discord channel for this, and we'll slowly work on it. And I just know that with this following year, yeah, there's just too much going on. I'm not going to commit to, to that, but I do want to commit to playing it because it is absolutely a beautiful book. It's a beautiful setting. Um, and I think, you know, um, something that would be enjoyable for those of you who want to put the the time and energy into uh, this. So by putting the time and energy, I mean character creation, backgrounds. It's not so, um, it's, there's a lot going on. So um, there's a lot of history. Um, I will say that the setting is probably much more, um, I don't want to say dense compared to say like Forgotten Realms. It's a much it's a Bronze Age setting. There is a mythology. There is, and I'm not saying that people have to become experts, but I'm looking for people who are saying, you know what, I want to play a particular character, and I want to roll, or roll up a character, and then I'm willing to put the effort in to at least having a basic understanding of, of the world and how it works, and a little bit more specific things of what would be important in that character. So, don't know how it works. I'm not making any promises, but I think the idea is if people are invested into into this, um, we can make it work. It's not a type of game that you want just the GM to be uh, invested in. So it needs to be players and GM. And the, and the adventures are not uh, at least the ones in the book um, as the GM screen got, they are not um, typical D&D type stuff. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, um, it is a Bronze Age setting as if mythology was real. And that's the only way I can really, I think the best way I can describe it. So it's, it is definitely the things that are important to the characters are 
things that would have been important to people in the congregation who followed a certain religion. And I don't know how else to put it but that. So anyway, if anybody's interested, contact me via Facebook or Twitter at I underscore am underscore Jeffrey. <clears throat> and I'll put you on the queue. The other thing I'm planning on running in 2022 is through Oldham's door. So if anybody's interested in that as well, let me know. Because I am putting that into uh, Foundry. I'm putting in a couple rooms a day. <clears throat> and eventually, it's an old school essentials is what I'll be using to run it. Um, it is, I think I was originally going to look at doing a um, hex crawl, but I just realized way too much energy was going to be taken to be put into it. And I think also the, the problem with the hex crawl for what I was looking for is, uh, is the amount of playable time. So it's like, I picked up two, the Evils of Ilmire, which I think unpacked, I think you run the thing for a year. It's just, you got to unpack so much of it. It's, it is, it is really, 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 um, it's a very neat setup. It's a very neat setting, sitting, 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 setting. It's still early. Coffee's not fully kicked in. Um, I would recommend it. It's just that I just, I realized for me to set it up was going to take a long time. And I really wasn't necessarily wanting to set something up to play for a year or two years. And the same thing with, uh, Curse of the Silver Axe. <clears throat> I just thought, well, why not just do, and I just realized Ben's uh, through all ten stories, just a perfect, uh, it's perfect as well. So, well, as well, it, it, it actually meets my needs because it's like, it's a dungeon of sorts. Um, and like 36 rooms. So it's like, with weird stuff going on. And you can keep going with it. So it's actually what I'm looking for, I think, it's definitely a much less straightforward, um, or it's, it's typical, it's not a typical dungeon crawl at all. And um, so anyway, those of you who are looking for something a little weird, because the Dural Tan's door is not, uh, I would say it is more like, um, I forget the guy who did uh, the Hellboy movies, uh, Julian Toronto or Toronto, I can't say, but anyway, there's kind of this icky, it's like a fantasy horror adventure, I would say, and you're getting into weird, dreamy oddness, and it's really not designed to be, um, this is not like a, a mega dungeon, you're not, it's not going and kicking the doors and killing everything, it's even though there's treasure and characters can advance, and there's a certain amount of this intended to be that, as far as providing that sort of uh, same type of experience, um, but really, it's really meant to be more evocative, weird, and enjoyable, and something to kind of savor and experience, less so of just, um, you know, battle mats and, you know, and uh, kicking down orcs uh, that you can and whatever, so... But it's still treasures very much part of it. So it does keep the foundational thing, uh, foundational things to a typical D&D adventure, but it kind of gets rid of some of the, but it, it definitely goes a different direction. So, and the other thing is I'm thinking about going to, well, think about, uh, I want to make some changes this year, going to a um, bi-weekly, a fortnightly uh, 
format. So every two weeks, it's just it's just time. So I posted on Twitter. I think the sixty one hours of is sixty one hours of content that I produced since January. So that is that is a week and a half of uh, for me it was almost two hundred hours a day. I've got at least probably probably about roughly an additional hundred hours um, just editing. So anyhow, it's got a it's it's been doable, but the problem is it still cuts into everything else, and it adds to a certain amount of stress just trying to get stuff done every day, which is it's fine. So, but uh, but anyway, fifty two. This is my fifty second. I guess it's my fifty second episode, so it's been one year. So. Um, spending my birthday by myself. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, I do, uh, but the plan is every two weeks. But with that means um, I can put out more, but the commitment's every two weeks. So, well, that's the two weeks. Probably two episodes a month. So, I may, so, but like I said, that's my internal commitment. Um, We'll see how that works out. I'm planning on starting a Patreon. Um, for a number of reasons, I think it, it's... I think part of it's actually, even though it may not get many people, I'm going to try and spread out. So what I've done is uh, I decided to take RPG Ramblings, a podcast, and I've also um, changing my... Business name. I was going to was on Drive Through RPG. I had Jones Inc. for games, but I thought you know what that just it, I don't know. It just never got a logo for it. I never really pushed it, but I just thought you know why not just do RPG Rambling? So I think we'll have RPG Ramblings podcast, and there'll be RPG Ramblings uh, publishing. So everything I will be doing henceforth will be under the I guess the moniker of RPG. So, that being said, I think about doing a Patreon, what I'll do is, there'll be a basic level, and the basic level is um, no cost, um, so it'll be links to this podcast, bi-weekly updates, uh, but I also will put in random thoughts, and I'll also uh, post uh, some work in progress. So, the next step at the $1 is... I will just put in the podcast outtakes. So, some people, uh, last, uh, when I, with Clayton, uh, the week before, um, I didn't cut anything out. We just sat and talked for a long time. But, uh, but some people, we, we chat before and after. And uh, I'll just go ahead and include some of that. Um, and I'll also um, put out random thoughts. Well, those random thoughts will be in podcast format. I'm not sure if it'll be directly to the Patreon or if I'll create another feed. But what the the intent for that will be, um, I won't have to edit it. I'm just going to, whatever's going through my mind uh, through uh, the publishing portion, probably less so the podcasting. But things that have come up, things I'm pondering, things I'm having problems with, um, things I've discovered, I will be posting that. And also start posting uh, stuff for my work in, in, in progress, too. So that'll be at the dollar level. I may add a, a $2 level just uh, 
just for fun. Thought about doing a $5 level, but um, I don't know. So anyway, look forward to that. Uh, for those of you who want to uh, want to uh, shell some uh, some greenbacks, um, it's not gonna it's not gonna be much. It's just I think I want to format a place to kind of put my works, uh, but also give people a chance if they want to support, they can. If they don't want to, if they just want to support, just by even just the basic no cost and you know see updates and stuff that's cool too so anyway those are all plans the other thing i was going to say is i've had i've had people reach out to me kind of recently about some questions about this and that i just want to say that if anybody's got any questions or thoughts or want to talk about something uh, just feel free to reach out to me um facebook you want to you know find me on the rpg scene group um I'm there. You can just uh, click my name in, and you want to become uh, friends. That's fine. Uh, it's it's just uh, you want to chat. I'm more than happy to. Um, if you got any questions regards any, anything, just let me know. I'm I'm just a dude. I enjoy doing this. So if people want to contact me, feel free. I mean that's a lot. Of, that's one of the main reasons for doing this podcast is to uh, meet people, make friends. So. It's very easy for us to become isolated. Uh, I think as as I get older, I find myself probably become a little bit more uh, more introverted. Not that I'm a complete introvert, but I, I do find that tendency. And I think it's I think uh, it's just hard to uh, you know when we put ourselves out there, it makes it easier to to make friends, make connections. So anyway, uh, feel free and like I say, want to say hi or have questions. It's just not a problem. So Facebook or Twitter. So anyway, that's all I got. Next week, man, I got a good guest. Had a good guest Saturday. Power went out. Oh, oh, what a mess. So uh, no, I've got excited. I got, I got exciting guests. Um, people I'm really excited to talk to um, are are uh, agreeing to come on. So I've got um, to Ben Lawrence is is planning on coming on. I've got um, Jeff Richard from. Quest has uh, agreed to come on. I've got uh, Carol Reed, who I'm excited to have on. Those are just uh, people in the near future. So I've got a whole sheet of people that are willing to come on. I just these are the people in the most uh, immediate time frame. 